This is from Justin McCain, a podcast where Mike Robertson and Bob LaRue watch one critically acclaimed film and one terrible film and talk about how they are the same. Hey, everybody, and welcome to From Justin to Kane, the podcast where me, Mike Robertson, and uh, this guy, Bob LaRue. That's me. Watch a, a bad movie and a good movie, and we talk about how they're the same. Yeah, and this week, uh, what are the films, Mike? So this week, we watched two movies, as always. One mm-hmm. was 1987's Hard Ticket to Hawaii, directed by mm-hmm. Andy Sedaris. And uh, the other movie was 2019's The Farewell, directed by Lulu Wang. Mm-hmm. Two mm-hmm. very different and yet extremely similar movies, question mark? Did you, did you find it easy finding parallels? Yeah, if I can venture into spoiler territory right off the top of the episode. I think that's more than appropriate. It is. Uh, this was probably the hardest one. Yeah, my list isn't very long. I I think I have 11 items or 9 items. That's like a lot. And some of them are a stretch. Yeah. Um but That's a lot though, I would say. There's the fact that there's that many similarities between these two movies. It's pretty jarring. Yeah, when but, I, I, I mean, didn't know what I was getting into when I started watching Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> maybe maybe let's do yeah. a little background on how this episode came about, maybe. It's not that it's not that exciting though, but it is. There's like it's not a that little bit exciting. of backstory. But I have a special relationship with Hard Ticket to Hawaii because my brother-in-law kept showing me the single scene, I would argue the seminal scene of the film, Hard Ticket uh-huh. to Hawaii on YouTube, where there's a frisbee throwing scene and it uh, ends in a murder. Um, yes. And it's quite quite a prolific scene. You should go take a look. You can just, it's the first thing on YouTube if you type in Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Uh-huh. Um, it involves a beach, it involves throwing a disc around, there's a disc with razor blades. You'll fill in the blanks. It's great. It's a good time. But anyways, I've seen this scene like 50 times. So we were always trying to find a copy of the film. And then for my birthday, my brother-in-law and sister just bought me the Blu-ray. Nice. So then I had it and I watched it. And then I threw it in Mike's uh, mailbox after a little Lysol wipe down. And uh, he also watched it. So yeah. it's been a long time coming, I feel like. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess there's no special backstory to watching The Farewell, except that it was a movie that we had both seen and enjoyed and thought it would be good to talk about. Yeah, I thought it was a great film. Also, the director, Lulu Wang, hasn't made a lot of films, so it's really cool that she got to make such a large film. Was this not her first movie? No, I think her second or third. But the other stuff is very indie from what I gather. Right. I don't know. Her her like IMDb page is one sentence. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't really know what. I didn't listen to enough interviews. The only interview I listened to was her breaking down the script. That It took her like three years to write the script. Oh, wow. Um, there were several iterations. Um, but I'll get into that when we contextualize our films. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are the two films. So we, we have Hard Ticket to Hawaii and The Farewell. Um, it was a struggle figuring out links. <laughs> Yeah, I found it really uh, almost insufferable as an activity. It made me not enjoy the farewell oh, while watching funny. it because I was constantly thinking about Hard Ticket to Hawaii and how 
Yeah. It just, I feel like this activity for once detracted from the quality of the film. Well, yeah, we'll see if this is a fool's errand, this entire podcast enterprise. <laughs> me well, thinks, we'll find out. Me thinks it is just a, a wee bit. Well, but, yeah, it depends how existential you want to get with it. But, uh, but also, uh, uh, yeah, the podcast isn't about, you know, taking two movies and finding out that they're the same. Like, that's not the point. The point no. of the podcast is the friends you made along their way, right? It's true. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> We've made some friends along the way. This two people podcast. Yeah. This well, you and I podcast. You, you and I didn't even know each other before this podcast. You just saw me sitting on a bench stop, like yeah. a bus stop. And you said, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. Do you want to co-host it with me? And I said, sure. And I didn't then, even know your first name. And yeah, and I and you said sure, and I heard the the dulcet tones of your voice, and I was like, "Wow, I hit the jackpot!" Mm-hmm. Someone to mm-hmm. someone to offset my my weaselly nasally tones. And then you thought, finally, I'll have a co-host who isn't super into feet. <laughs> Boy, were you wrong? How wrong was I? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, all right, well, let's contextualize these movies, Mike. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Wow. All right. The Farewell 2019, written and directed by Lulu Wang. Um, she also played um, some piano in the score. So she really, you know, she had her hands in a lot of uh, pots, pans. Pies. What's the phrase? Pies. A lot of ha- her hands were in several pies. Um, so supposedly, when this film was released, it had a very limited theatrical release before being bought by Amazon. Yes. Um, but. It came out and it coincided with um, Avengers Endgame and the per theater box office, this film outperformed Avengers. Yeah. Well, Obviously, Avengers made shitloads of money and blah, blah, blah. But with this limited release, the amount of money they made per theater was greater. That's that's kind of like a fairly common thing with indie movies nowadays. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Like in our Kevin Smith episode, we didn't talk about it, but we kind of talked about it on the social media for... Uh, yoga hosers like every time kevin smith does a movie it always is like the highest per screen average of any movie in the country at that time because he, oh really yeah because he basically is selling out giant theaters that are like mostly right. most of the time bigger than other theaters because he pretty much only kind of does uh whatever they're called roadshow tours with his movies where he mm. is present at the thing so the only way to see jane silent bob re- reboot was like with kevin smith as part of the ticket price. Oh. So the tickets were a little inflated because Kevin Smith was present. But then also, right. I think they also released it afterwards. And maybe, yeah, I can't imagine that it did amazing when mm-hmm. Kevin Smith wasn't there doing a like talk. It's definitely uh, an, an added value of attraction of the filmmaker there. That's for sure. But this film didn't do a roadshow style thing. It was just the movie. Wow. Wait, and, and so uh, this was the same weekend. Well. This was the same weekend that Avengers came out. I believe so. It might have been a one-week buffer, but I think they huh. came out roughly at the same time. And this film was outperforming it per theater. But how many theaters was it playing at? Because that's the thing. It's like probably it's playing, like five. Let's yeah, be if honest. If it's playing in five and it and it sells out every one of those, then it's like yeah, it's sold out every every seat. Yeah, I don't think had. it's. I don't think it's a a great metric for success because no. it's. Like you said, it's probably not that hard to sell out a theater if you if you only are being released to like a super limited number of theaters. Yeah, it wouldn't be that hard to sell them out. And then like all the cinephiles in London and all the cinephiles and 
Toronto and New York, they're going to go find it in the single theater that's playing it. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. You're outperforming Avengers because they're only selling 80% of their seats per screening or whatever. And the, um, I think sometime during this pandemic, there was a, a story of a movie that a bunch of, like it's an indie movie, and then they basically rented out this theater. And then they also bought every seat so that nobody could go to it. So they basically had like the what? biggest selling Why would movie. you do that? Because they had their movie trended uh, as like the highest selling movie of the summer up until that point. Oh. Because they sold every ticket, but nobody watched it because nobody was allowed to go into a movie theater, but they were still allowed to rent theater and still buy tickets to it. Just nobody could go in and watch it. So I don't remember right. what the movie okay, was called. That's interesting. It's a fun little trick because they, they got their name out there. But yeah, we'll see what happens, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um. Uh, yeah, so the film is uh, inspired by a This American Life episode about a Chinese family who are dealing with their grandmother having um, a terminal illness and they, like in the film, they they plan a wedding so that everyone can come and have a, you know, a final visit with the grandmother before she passes, but then nobody tells her the truth. Um, this is the first PG-rated A24 film that they've made because they do a lot of horror and a lot of like very extreme uh, eh, not extreme, but just you know, they the real art house cinema, so our ratings are kind of uh, associated with that. So, it's their first PG rated film. Are you a uh, A24 stan? Yes, I love A24, I think they do a great job. But there's are a you? yeah, there's a special group of people on the internet. Um, I think it's on Twitter, I think film Twitter is made fun of generally because of that they're A24 stands, but the joke is that they don't know other good movies. They only know whatever came out in the last three years. And they think it's the best movie that's ever existed. And it's only movies that come through A24. So, But to be fair, A24 has exclusively home runs. I think they're the live action Pixar. Mm, Very good. Yeah, like just like a small boutique company that's just kicking ass. Yeah, it's kind of cool that we're living in this time of uh, this art house, I guess not revolution, but it's funny that after resurgence, after so many like decades of blockbusterness, mm-hmm. people are like, "Hey, I've got a good idea: making good movies and having them not cost a lot of money. People will go yeah. and see them, and then they do." So yeah. And it's also eclectic, like you have Moonlight and Hereditary and The Farewell mm-hmm. all coming from the same company. That's pretty astonishing. Yeah, pretty um, wild. And that's there's countless other films that I can't recall, but, you know, it's it's impressive to say the least. And there's other companies that do that. There's like Neon. Mm-hmm. That's the only one I can remember. Uh, 21 Laps, I think, is they did Arrival, and they were also the ones who uh, made Stranger Things. Yeah. So they're, they 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 do some cool stuff. Who did Swiss Army Man? I don't know. Good Have you question. seen that movie? No, I've I've been hesitant to watch it. Why? It this doesn't. I don't know. I'm not never um, in the right headspace. Uh, Swiss Army Man was an A24 movie. Oh shit! So now you will like it because you're a A24 stan and you only it's know true. five movies. I'm, I'm gonna watch it right after uh this uh episode is done being recorded we should do that movie because i love it so much 
Oh, well, fuck it. Let's do it then. That that gives me more reason to watch it. Yeah. We should maybe cool. we should just only do A24 movies going forward. Should we change our podcasts to exclusively A24 references? We we just reference a a great A24 film with a terrible random other film. Yeah. And we just talk about why A24 is so cool. We only do A24 and Andy Sedaris films. <laughs> well, he has like 13 movies, so I'm sure like A24 has 13 movies. It probably works out. We call it from A24 to A. That's a great name. Thank you. That's a great name. Thank you very much. Um, anyway, I'll let you get back anywho, to your context. Um, Lulu Wang, the writer and director, really underestimated the cost of some of the Chinese cast members because she wanted um, peop- like actors who lived in China. And so mm-hmm. she hired a lot of like superstars within China and they yeah. were very expensive. Um, and the woman, uh, Xu Zhen Zhao, who plays Nai Nai, is like, you know, China's uh, Judy Dench. And she yeah. was super expensive. And basically, Lulu Wang had to like plead for her to be in the film because she 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 couldn't afford her mm-hmm. um but uh whatever th- however their uh, conversation transpired she encouraged her and uh she was in the film and she did an amazing job great so that was the thing um a thing about the the script writing so it was done over three years uh lulu wang can speak and hear mandarin but can't write or read it so in the script she wrote it all in English, and then in brackets would be the Mandarin sections. And then the film had professional um, translators, but she would work with her mom almost exclusively to translate it into Mandarin and then figure out. And then so it would, it would be English put into Mandarin, but then her mom would look at it and then suss it out and be like, is this what you really meant? This this verbiage seems weird or like this this seems more aggressive or whatever. And she would work work on the dialogue to, to like, because it doesn't translate perfectly. Yeah. And so there was some interpretation that had to happen. And so there were a lot of conversations about how to translate it. Um, and yeah, that process took like three years to kind of get it where she wants it. There was a whole thing about the the grandma Nainai calls Billy stupid all the time, which there was a conversation. The studio was like, it should be silly that stupid such a harsh thing. But she's like, that's what grandmas call you when you're being silly is that you're stupid. Mm-hmm. They don't mean it maliciously. And there's this whole conversation about it. And then she decided to leave stupid in because that's what the direct translation is. Um, and there's an instance where Nainai says stupid and means it towards the bride to be that she doesn't really like. Um, but then she says the same word in regards to Billy, but you can tell that it's lovingly and endearingly. And she has great admiration for Billy and so that was like a whole thing. So like within the script, there's a lot of complex stuff that they had to like figure out for like translation, uh, the meaning of lines, how the lines would convey like within dialogue. The film, so the film was written in English and then it was translated to Chinese. And then Lulu Wang wouldn't know what the translation actually was until there was a table read and the actor who could read Mandarin would say it out loud and then she would know what the line is and then she'd have notes about the translation. Oh, interesting. So that was part of the process too, yeah. So it's kind of cool that she had no idea how to read or write in Mandarin and just fucking went for it anyways. That's crazy because Hard Ticket to Hawaii had the same si- situation. Really? Yeah, it was written in, parts of it were written in Mandarin and Andy Sedaris didn't understand Mandarin. <laughs> 
He's like, Mandarin will sound really cool in this Hawaiian action spy thriller <laughs> slash softcore porno. Yes. Um, yeah, and then I guess just the last thing is like the script in its entirety was in English. The final script is totally in English. And then the parts that are in Mandarin are in brackets. And then the actors would uh, translate it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, that's basically everything. It was nominated for several indie awards, etc. I don't really need to point that out. It's obviously a great film. Um, and I'm excited to see what Lulu Wang does with su- subsequent films. Yeah. Yeah. She seems like a real powerhouse because she's quite young and obviously really talented. And she's kind of, it's not like she has 58 short films under her belt. She's just kind of sprung into this world. So it's exciting to see where she goes with it. Yeah, it was really well shot. I liked the way it was shot. I mean, oh, the cinematography was almost too nice. The music was nice. It's, oh, the music was gorgeous. I thought the editing was really great. Um, I have a funny comparison between... Just speaking of like how it was shot and edited, I have a funny comparison between the two films that I'll share later after you contextualize Heart Ticket to Hawaii. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, so Heart Ticket to Hawaii is a action slash sex romp, question mark? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's good, that's good. So is directed by Andy Sedaris, who is a famous-ish um, B-movie director. And uh, the movie was directed and written by him, and it was produced by his wife, Arlene Sedaris. Um, mm-hmm. So they're like a husband and wife team, and they make these strange B-movies. He died in 2007, and so Arlene is pretty much just like now just dedicating the rest of her life to the legacy of their film company, I guess. Mm. Um, he made 12 films, including... Uh, a Films or he made 12 films with titles such as Fit to Kill and Savage Beach, Picasso Trigger, and then a film just called Guns, <laughs> which is hilarious. Oh, fuck. That's great. Um, so yeah, Hard Ticket to Hawaii is about a team of drug enforcers or spies or something. It's kind of like unclear what they do. Yeah, um, they're just they're they're like secret agent esque. They work for the government, but then they also don't. Yeah. <laughs> or the or the government is extremely lax with like what they're allowed to do <laughs> while on the job. They're so, really not micromanaged, that's for sure. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Um it might be like one of those secret government agencies. Also, just to clarify, so the the two male leads, like the guy with the long hair and then the main guy who's on the cover of the film but isn't in the movie mm-hmm. for most of the film. Yes. Those two are like the agents. And then the two women who are in real life, they're playmates. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're they like just pilots, aren't they? They're not They're not agents? No. Or are uh, they undercover? At one point they, yeah, because I was wondering about this as I was watching. I was like, what, what, what is, who, what are they, what's their job specifically? <laughs> what, apparently what they're, is your job title? Apparently at one point uh, a guy says drug, calls her a drug enforcer. So they're, oh, they're, they must be there for some sort of like drug bust or something. Why, why the fuck is she flying that airplane just like as a commercial pilot? She just knows how to fly. But that in itself is a full-time job. Don't, Being an agent. Don't question their skills. They're extremely well-skilled, these women. I know. They're more skilled than anyone else in the movie. I know. That's, that's something we'll talk about that I thought was actually pretty uh, interesting about the movie. 
Oh, okay. Cool, um, cool. Anyway, so they there's a diamond heist or something going on in the background, and they intercept these diamonds just by sheer coincidence. And then the bad guy is constantly trying to get these diamonds. And then there's also a subplot about a deadly snake that was infected by toxins from cancer-infested rats. So there's a, <laughs> there's a bit of a switcheroo where there's a snake that's put on the wrong plane. Uh, so for some reason, the same warehouse has a the snake that needs to go to a zoo and then has a snake that's like, I guess, evil or cancerous or something. I don't know. It's just a hideous puppet. It's... It's supernatural, like it's borderline, you know, with the ending of the film, it really seems like it's um, possessed by a devil or something. Yeah. It has supernatural capabilities when it bursts out the toilet and it has the weird lighting and stuff. I don't know. There's something very supernatural about that snake. Yeah. Snake. That suggests more than just being infested by cancerous rats. Yes. Um, so it, the film stars a bunch of Playboy bunnies. Such from the 80s. So Playboy bunnies like Donna Spear, Cynthia Brimhall, and Patty Duffick. Um, So the movies themselves that Andy Sedaris makes are brainless action films and has copious amounts of pointless nudity, lots of dumb puns, and just the craziest action sequences you could imagine. Um, Mm -hmm. The women in these movies are generally called the lethal ladies, and they often will star in multiple of these movies, and they also sometimes will die and then will come back. In another movie. So, <laughs> as like not character? a whole lot of continuity. Yeah, as the same character. Oh, shit. Not even a different character. Or maybe a different character. This is the only one I've seen, but not that oh, I know about. okay. So, this is the second installment in what uh, Andy Sears calls the Triple B series. The Triple B stands for Bullets, Bombs, and Babes, or Bullets, Bombs, and Boobs. <laughs> so, these are, he's made a bunch of B movies in this kind of genre. Uh, between 1985 and 1990, 1998. Uh, Andy himself makes a cameo in the film as the sexist guy in, in the restaurant who is accused of uh, rape, <laughs> which is why. Very casually. Yeah, very casually. And he is, uh, yeah. And he so he decided to cast himself as this character, which I found to be an odd choice. But you do you, Andy, I guess. So mm-hmm. uh, a little bit about Andy Sedaris, because I think he's an interesting fellow. Um, before movies, he was a sports TV director. So he directed football and basketball games and Olympic events. He was like, mm. he won awards. I think he won Emmys for his like sports directing. Um, he was one of the first directors on ABC's wide world of sports. Mm. And supposedly he was a football choreographer on the movie mash. And really, he calls himself the best television director that ever lived. So um yeah he is like he's known for his rampant sexism he pioneered a thing called the honey shot where you would just focus on cheerleaders instead of the sporting event or people in the Uh, stands who are women um and it was the honey shot yeah and was known just to shout to the camera crew to like focus on the women but in more sexist ways he he also supposedly helped create uh, the instant replay and the slow motion re- replay in sports TV. So that's a fun fact. Mm, this guy seems like a real innovator. Um, he is. A, yeah, he, I would say he is. But uh, so just one more thing. Paste magazine has rated Hard Ticket to Hawaii as the number one B movie of all time. Um, saying it was the most fun 
of all the perfect mixture of classless sexuality and hyper-macho 1980s action with insane action sequences from the inflatable sex doll clutching skateboard assassin to a henchman who is executed via razor-tipped frisbee. So if you can imagine those sequences without seeing them, you're in for a wild ride when you do see them. So, Yeah, they're certainly um, compelling to watch. The skateboarding was so unnecessary. Oh, yes, Guys 100%. doing a handstand on it, and then he thinks that holding a sex doll will, won't raise attention. It's fa- fascinating. It was a it was a cool little action sequence. Well, I learned from the special features that uh, Andy will o- often cast somebody based on their special skills. Oh, so, so that, that guy, guy was clearly, like, I can shred a skateboard. Well, he could. He did a handstand on a skateboard. Remember? Mm-hmm. So he was a handstanding skateboard guy. Like I think the women, some of them have like karate training. For so sure, they were like cast. I'm sure uh, you know. Aside from the other obvious reasons, but. That's a hard ticket to Hawaii, which also has like a amazing slash terrible theme song. theme song is funny and they play the whole song they like do three yeah. and a half minutes in that flying sequence over the islands of hawaii yeah pretty crazy yeah there's um, there's some hilarious uh room-esque moments for sure like just unintentional comedy in the movie yeah but also the movie seemed very self-aware like it seemed to know what it was doing it seemed to know how bad it was slash how corny it was well and when so. you listen to interviews I, there isn't a delusion necessarily from the people in it or even Andy Sedaris. Like, I don't think he thinks he's a maverick filmmaker. No, I think he's just like, this is going to make money and you want to watch it because 80% of it is with topless women. Exactly. Yeah. Just like discussing battle plans while topless in a hot tub. No reason for that, but what the hell we had a hot tub. Fuck it. Let's use it. You know? Yeah. It's um powerful filmmaking. <laughs> Were you taking notes throughout that you can use with your filmmaking? Uh oh yes. Good. I mean, a Good. lot of it's like what not to do, but then uh <laughs> just I wish I was sometimes when you see a movie like this, you're like, ah, oh, I wish I was this creative. Like the razor tipped frisbee thing. Oh yeah, totally. That's or, wild, isn't or it? This just is how for the, the one, Molokai police. The one character who just can't use any gun but a bazooka. <laughs> yeah. And he's he's uh, like yeah, he's an expert shot with a bazooka, even at point blank range, but he yeah. for whatever reason just can't shoot a regular gun to save his life. Yeah, he says that, right? He's like, Oh, I couldn't hit anything with a handgun. Yeah. But a bazooka he just like has perfect Nails aim. It. It's fun because you can just make any rule you want. So 
you know, Andy Sedaris is just like, I have this idea. It doesn't yeah. make sense, but it's funny. It's cool. Exactly. And I think that's why I enjoyed watching it because it was, uh, yeah, it kind of makes its own rules. And it's one of those movies where it's like people trying to pick it apart. It's like, why are you bothering? Like the movie knows what it's doing by creating its own universe and the universe is cartoonish. So just yeah. kind of let it be stupid. There is no reason to tear it apart, I think. It's yeah. not trying to be something it isn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's get into comparisons then. Unless, do, do you have any more um, information about the film? Mm, no, that's literally all of the information available about the movie. That Just was kidding. very rich with oh, information. Thank you, thank you Mike. That yeah, was really it, enriching. It's worth looking up the special features on the DVDs if you can, or getting a hold of the DVDs and watching the special features, because you get a better portrait of Andy and his directing style. But also and the his really, wife. And his wife, too. But he also has a very, like, uh, what's the word? He has a real, like, buddy-buddy relationship with all of the women in the movies. So mm -hmm. you really get the sense that everybody here is just having a lot of fun and it's not, he's not, like, he is a pervert, but everybody's fine with it in a weird way. You yeah, know everyone's I mean? kind of into it. Everybody's into it because they're all playboy bunnies. And so it's like, this is their job kind of normally anyway. They're, yeah. they're fine with being leered at i guess and andy mm -hmm. just kind of just treats it like he's making a, a normal movie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it just so happens that you know all of the stuff that happens is dumb what, what you got what you got i got i gotta i'm gonna i'm gonna start real soft with this one okay Mm -hmm. um, both films involve air travel. So the film starts in one place and then you have to travel to another place uh, in order to have the film finish. So yes. obviously, they I don't know what island they start on in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, but that snake obviously needs to be on a different island. So that happens. Um, plus that couple's like doing their trip, camping or whatever on the beach before they get eaten by the snake. Yes. Um, and then in, uh, the farewell, the whole family, including Billy, they all fly to China to see, uh, Nai Nai before, uh, the wedding. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So well, air, air, air travel plays a crucial, it's the gateway to the plot being able to unfold nice. in both films. Yeah. Well, I would even say it's uh, characters reluctantly crossing the ocean via air travel. Yes. Because yeah. they are forced to go across to Hawaii to deliver the snake and then also do the, whatever the spy stuff they have to do. Mm -hmm. They seem reluctant about it, just as Billy kind of doesn't want to go to China. Seems like they both have a hard ticket. Yeah, they really you do, know? yeah. It's a ticket you don't want, but you have it and you got to use it. Get that hard ticket and fly. <laughs> Let's see. Both are about the relationship between two women. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the... Farewell obviously is about Billy and her grandmother. Um, having Billy's has to go to China and she's sad because her grandma doesn't know she's dying. And it's about her relationship with her nine eye. And then um, in Hard Ticket to Why, the two female leads are both Playboy bunnies. Uh, they are the main characters, they take up 70% of the screen time. Yeah. And yeah, it's just kind of about their relationship. 
the men in the story kind of just play backseat to everything. You don't really learn anything about them and they don't really do anything. In fact, I almost thought it was a joke for most of the movie that they were not in the movie because they're prominently <laughs> featured on the poster more than the women. Yeah. And they have top billing, don't they? They have top billing, but then it almost seems like they're just getting lost on the way to where the women are. <laughs> so oh, I thought that funny. was the joke, but then they did show up and then they did start doing some action stuff, but it seemed like a questionable choice narratively. Mm -hmm. And also like, yeah, why were these guys front and center on the poster? But anyway, so yeah, it's a, just a, it's a, both films are um, powerful explorations of a relationship between two women. That's a great one. Nice. Yeah. Um, both films deal with uh, false pretenses. So in The Farewell, yes, the whole good. family is going to China for an air quotes wedding. But in actuality, they all want to have their final moments with Nai Nai before she dies. Mm -hmm. um, and in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, there are multiple false pretenses going on here. Okay. The first false pretense, I think, is that these four characters are agents and people don't know that they're agents of whatever... Right service they're associated with i don't know that's never clear drug enforcement whatever that's a false pretense another false pretense is the uh villains on the island picking up the diamonds via remote control helicopter they obviously don't want to be found out they obviously don't want to um uh be caught so that's a false pretense a third false pretense is the bartender who is a man dressed as a woman yes and is also an assassin. That's a false pretense. No, no one is none the wiser until that character takes off um, the costume and like starts killing people or whatever. That's a false pretense. And uh, no one knows that there is a snake. <laughs> so a similar. So Nai Nai has cancer, and this film has a snake. Oh, a cancerous snake! Holy shit! They both oh, deal with cancer. Wow! Holy I shit! Forgot about that. Wow. <laughs> Wow, I didn't even we, put that together I, when I was watching it. Wow, I just hit a fucking home run, didn't I, Mike? You did. Holy shit. Um, yeah, so both films really deal with uh, cancer as well. Um, uh, but the snake is a false pretense. Not everyone knows it's there, and not everyone knows that it's the cancerous one, the one that's being infested that's by right, rats. That's right, yeah. Well, we're so, all, yeah. so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. You well, I was going to say, saying. and both films have multiple false pretenses. Billy also doesn't tell people that she didn't get the fellowship. Right. And she holds off until the last third of the film before she tells Nai Nai. Yeah. Um, so that's a thing. Yeah. False pretenses and cancer are really heavy in both films. I Yeah. For whatever reason, the, the cancer thing didn't. I, it totally went over my head. I missed, I just said it, I missed I was it. Like, oh my they, God. They said cancer infested snake. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Keep, keep going. Keep going. What is, what's next? <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Oh my God. <laughs> what other crazy funny. stuff you got? So, but uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, but um, on the building on the snake thing. Yeah. We were lied to as an audience. Cause I, I thought the snake was going to be a much bigger part of the movie. Me too. They Like right off the top, they set it up as the snake is going to be like, this snake is super dangerous, cancerous. It's, it's scary looking. It's gross and dripping with some sort of liquid always. It's like slimy constantly. Yeah. It's got um, this real alien KY jelly vibe to it. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, it's a bit of a MacGuffin though. It's not, not really, it doesn't do anything. It just kind of just yeah. is there to motivate the characters to do something. And then 
And then may, you may always I think say, it's going to come back and do something, and then it just kind of anticlimactically pops out of a toilet at the end. May I say, not dissimilar to the farewell, Grandma's cancer uh, isn't as aggressive as they thought it was. Mm. She was alive six years later. She may still be alive. I think she still is, actually. So, boom. Both both deal with a, a cancer that isn't as serious as uh, it was thought to be. Yeah, but both in the in both movies, like if the snake is represented in the farewell as grandma, like if the grand, sorry, if the grandma <laughs> is supposed to be the snake in you know as the analog between the two movies, yeah, I did find yeah. it crazy that in the farewell they ended the movie by having grandma pop out of a toilet and get blasted in the face by a bazooka. <laughs> I know <laughs> that was nuts, wasn't yeah, it? That was wild. Uh. I but it still it still made that sense. That was a misstep. It oh, was a misstep, you, okay. I thought, from a writing standpoint. Yeah. Um, but that's what happens when you call your granddaughter stupid so many times. It's true, yeah. Aquafina is going to grab a bazooka because she's not very good with firearms. Uh, and she's going <laughs> to blow off your head. Great one. Uh, okay, both films deal with uh, locations that are extremely humid. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's... that's um, that's all there is. I don't need to add anything to that. Okay, they just yeah, sure. both deal with humidity and tropical weather. I'll say both movies are have Asian culture and Western culture being mashed together. Yeah, okay. Because um, uh, Billy is kind of a American mm-hmm. person. Uh, so she's kind of like, she grew up in America. China is like a thing that she goes to for vacations or goes to see family and stuff, but it's not like, her, you know, her main cult cultural uh it's not our main cultural thing so yeah 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 so in hard ticket to hawaii the characters all do various martial arts but clearly as a joke Mm -hmm. like so okay interesting that's a good one that one is uh much headier than what i had oh really humidity well of course if your whole thing is they're both humid, period. That's as, I wouldn't say that's heady <laughs> in any capacity. Hey, you can, you can talk about weather patterns in films, okay? That's an often overlooked aspect of cinema. You know what you don't um, see in movies these, ever? You never see this what? in a movie? What? Um, you know that, it, that it's beautiful in real life. I don't know why they never try and capture this in movies. You know in, in uh, real life when you're looking at like a field... Or you're just looking at a park or you're just looking at like a big green space and there's clouds up above and it's a sunny day. But then the the sun goes behind the cloud briefly and you kind of just see like the shadow of the cloud slowly move across the field. Yeah. You never see that in a movie ever. I know. That's because cinematographers hate that. They hate it. I know. Yeah. They're always controlling the light because they want to maintain their exposure. And when clouds are coming in and out. It fucks them over. So they, they're going to shoot exclusively with cloud or exclusively without it. Oh, I know. But I just never see it is what I'm saying. I feel like there's like a movie in the 50s made in like Japan mm-hmm. or India where they have like a nice slow static shot of a field and you just see a cloud roll over. You know, yeah. I could I, see Ingmar Bergman doing that. Yeah, maybe I'll look out for it. But I don't think I've ever seen it in a movie Maybe I saw it in an anime. Oh, you know what? That's definitely an animation technique. Yeah. And then having really like obvious shadow plops. Uh, plops. Plops <laughs> of shadows. That's the technical <laughs> term. Shadow plops. 
Um, that's cool though. I think you're you're right. That is an underused thing. You should use it in whatever your next film is. Mm, I, yeah. Okay. Uh, so both movies are award winning. Yeah. So um, the farewell won. Like, what did it win? You said it won. Oh yeah. Well, it was nominated extensively. Okay. I, Maybe okay. I'll t- I'll change it because I didn't actually look in. I just assumed that the farewell won some awards, but. Maybe it was just well, it was just it, kind of like out. awards bait. It certainly was like it. Uh, it did very very well. Let's just see. I'm gonna go on the IMDb really quick. I mean, I know the general public could just do this, but uh, I'm already on here, so just deal with it. I'm dealing. I'm dealing. Oh my lanta! Technical specs. I don't want that. Oh my god! Where are the awards on IMDb? All right, so it won Golden Globe for um, Aquafina won a Golden Globe for That's best right. I knew actor. That. I knew that. Lulu Wang won the Independent Spirit Award. Um, uh, it won a couple of Gotham Awards. It won the Sundance London Award, uh-huh. the Palm Springs International Film Festival Award. I think a lot of the festivals. It was nominated like a motherfucker. Like it has like a hundred <laughs> nominations. But uh, it won several awards. But yeah, I think the Golden Globe is the biggest one. Yeah, that's Aquafina. right. Yeah, and that it was, was it was nominated work. for Best Foreign Language Film, which is interesting because I'm not sure I'd call it a foreign language film. Just saying. How many people have won awards and their name is not their name? Like they use a moniker? Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg, Madonna, mm, um, Aquafina. Yeah, Aquafina. Uh, Lady Gaga? Yeah. Did she win something? Wasn't she nominated for A Star is Born? Maybe. For the song? Well, Eminem, Eminem won, didn't he? For what, 8 Mile? Lose Yourself? Yeah, for the song. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, anyway. anyways, lo- lots of people have um, their like, so celebrity name or whatever. Yeah, pretty um, well. Cool. Well, anyways, yeah, so they're both award winners. That's they're both good. award winners because the Farewell won a lot of awards, as you said. And mm-hmm. um, the movie itself of Hard Dick and Toy didn't win any big awards, but many of the actresses are Breast Actress Award winners for their other <laughs> career. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. So, so awards by proxy. Yeah, awards by proxy. It features a lot of, well, it fe- features a lot of Breast Actress Award winners and uh, the farewell um, features a best actress. So both on that note, both films have um, stars who were doing things other than acting before they got into acting. So yes, like a lot of these were Playboy bunnies, um, and obviously they're doing like uh, photo shoots and they're modeling. They're not acting per se until Andy Sedaris and Aquafina was a rapper and a comedian and then became an actor. Yeah. That's a good so, one. So they both are uh, like uh, I would say both films have uh, multidisciplinary stars. I would also say that the uh, actors in Hard Ticket to Hawaii weren't terrible. No, I think if they had a better script and better direction, they could have done great that's, stuff. Yeah, because that's the thing. That was something that I actually thought about when I was watching it. Is like a lot of movies that are bad. People will be like, oh, the acting is terrible and the line delivery is terrible. But it's like, well, also the writing is just wretched, right? So, well, unusable, like it's unusable because, like, put a good actor in that movie and have to, and they have to deliver the same dialogue, it would, it would be bad. It's just like, yeah, any, Meryl Streep in Hard Ticket to Hawaii would suck. 
Yeah, she couldn't she would do, a do bad it either. Job. Like she would be better, obviously, than you know the Playboy bunnies. But I would say they got kind of a raw deal because that was uh, a terrible script. So if they, mm-hmm. if those same actors, you know the the Playboy bunnies, I guess we'll just call them <laughs> as a as a uh, cohort, mm-hmm. um, the bunnies. Um, if they were in the farewell, or they they might be able to like pull their weight, you know, in that movie because they had actual dialogue that seem, sounds normal when somebody says it, you know, and yeah. it's not and it's naturalistic. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was interesting. Like, if you rarely are bad actors given brilliant scripts with relatable situations, mm-hmm. so they they kind of have an uphill uphill battle, you know. Greg yeah, Sestero yeah. from The Room has to deal with the script that Tommy Wiseau wrote. So, of course, he's not going to seem like a good actor in that movie. That's a great observation. Thank you. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so if Aquafina um, was in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, yeah, she might have not won that award. Yeah, probably not, let's be honest, because mm-hmm. the script is so weak. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not, but it's both? not the dialogue, it's the situations. That's where it wins. That's, yeah. Um, anywho. Uh, both have both films have characters dealing with mourning and death. Go so on. obviously, the whole family's dealing with Nai Nai dying of cancer. That's what the whole film is about. With uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii in the very famous frisbee razor blade scene, mm. right before he chucks the disc, um, he says, "This one's for the Molokai cops." Yeah. And then he kills the guy who killed the two Molokai cops at the beginning of the film. What's interesting is I don't think they ever have a scene together where you, the, the hero and the Molokai cops hang out and they're like buddy, buddy. And you realize that they care about each other. Yeah. I don't think there's any relationship. So it's kind of interesting that so late in the film, they suggest that there's an emotional relationship between the Molokai cops and this drug enforcement agent or whatever the hell he is. But um <laughs> Anyway, so but he, obviously he's going through some emotions. He wants to get revenge, right? So he's dealing with death and mourning, and that seems to uh, uh, influence his decisions and his performance. Similar to uh, the farewell. Hmm. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Both are about characters who feel like failure mm-hmm. um, when thinking about their family members. So the one. So obviously in um, The Farewell, you know, Billy feels sad that she didn't get her fellowship. Mm-hmm. She wanted to disappoint her grandma. She like, there's expectations that ha- are in the family that she feels like she has to like live up to constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, the one secret agent, I don't remember her name, um, but she was the other blonde main character (laughs) (laughs) she was the little blonde main character who had fewer lines i guess yeah they both were both the main characters so it was yeah but they're also i don't remember their names at all you're thinking of uh donna yeah oh yeah right so it wasn't donna donna was uh, the character's name oh christ what was the other lady's name it doesn't matter so i'll say the character who wasn't donna oh is it taryn sure taryn yeah yeah, that's right. That was her name. Mary Carlton. Yeah, yeah, that's who she is. So she, um, her dad was a secret agent, apparently. In oh, the story, really? her dad was a secret agent, and so she was influenced by him, but she always felt like she was not living up to his legacy. Hmm. 
but uh so that's that one i guess cool nice um, yeah that is cool all right what do i have here uh both have um animals that are continually present throughout the film and one could uh suggest that there's symbolic reason for this so in um hard ticket to hawaii obviously the snake i think it's symbolic of the danger in which these characters um live their lives because they're agents and they're shooting guns and people are always trying to kill them and there's espionage and uh thievery and blah 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 you know just criminal activities um so so the snake i think is like a good symbol of the ever present danger in their lives and in um the farewell there's often a bird in a scene with aquafina so oh, yeah she she gets into her apartment and there's a bird fluttering around and uh, i think aquafina feels trapped um she can't pay rent she doesn't have any money and she didn't get the fellowship and this bird can't get out of the apartment and it too is trapped and oh. then uh there's a second scene with a bird when she's in china and she's starting to uh come to terms with the reality of not telling nai nai that that she's going to die and like how how can she shoulder this burden and she sees another bird and the bird isn't enclosed but it isn't flying so it's it's like choosing to stay stationary and then the third scene i believe it's the second to last shot in the film is uh a tree filled with birds. Oh no, maybe it's the very last shot. It is. And then Billy in New York screams out into the air like uh Nai Nai does in the morning. And then the last shot is all the, all these birds bursting out of the tree, uh flying off, suggesting that they're moving forward in their life. And nice. so is she. She's had some sort of awakening. You really caught the symbolism in that. That's how we roll. I took film <laughs> studies for two weeks before dropping out, so nice. no big deal. I know a thing or two about symbolism, my man. Nice. Um, yeah, so both both deal with animal symbolism. Well, also, if if you're talking about animals in the movie, here's a little fun fact for you. The, oh. the dog in The Farewell is Lulu Wang's dog. Really? Yeah, and in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, there's a cat that makes a cameo right at the end, and that... Uh, but that cat belongs to like the you know husband and wife team who made the movie. Wow, cameo pets. Cool, cool. That's great. Uh, so yeah, that's. Uh, well, I wonder if they're union card holding uh, animals. Um. Yeah. Both uh, involve family. So Lulu mm -hmm. Wang. This is about her grandma in real life, like her relationship with her grandma. Yeah. And in Hard to Toy, uh, the Sedaris family produced and directed hashtag. Family affair. Whoa. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, so there's, there's that. Okay, very cool. And also there's a family in the movie itself, obviously. The the dad, who's a secret agent of the Terran character. But then also, off the talk, they're talking about this drug operation that they're going to the island for. And it's they think it's a small family-run operation. And then it turns out it's a big thing. Nice. And there's a lot nice. more going on. So family is really crucial to the plot of both of these films. Yeah. There's a lot That's more good. going on. So there's not really a wedding. Or there is a wedding, but it's not why everybody's gathering. Mm -hmm. Just as mm -hmm. there's a lot more going on on the island. Mm-hmm. 
Um, both films have very uh, uh, purposeful use of music to heighten moments and uh, move you. Um, You're just describing music in movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In it's general. Pretty cheap, cheap blow. <laughs> both I really of them wish... were filmed on a, with a camera. <laughs> I wish they had a, a song called The Farewell. Yeah. I was in the, the farewell. Um, there wasn't any mu- music during the credits? Was there not a song called The Farewell during the credits? I don't know. I can't remember. No, I, I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, I wish. Yeah, I wish. That's a weak one. I'm fucking. I'm not even going to finish saying it. But anyway, so they both have music. Okay. I'll, you know what? I'll, <laughs> I'll use I'll let this you other have one. It. I'll let you have it. So both films use slow motion to heighten moments mm. uh, of of intensity so like in the farewell they use it a couple times there's a shot where billy's walking away um she's walking by herself and i think she's really trying to come to terms with the situation she finds herself in and she's walking through downtown and it's all slow motion and it's very beautifully shot and all the lights are flickering and people are walking around her Uh um and then there's another shot i think it's after the wedding when the groom is starting to cry that's in slow motion or just before that moment there's a slow motion scene that really heightens the emotion yeah and then i i can't recall but i imagine in a hard ticket to hawaii there are several scenes that are in slow motion there was someone they, when they go to the near the end when they the guys show up with the bazookas there's right. a bunch of shots of them firing their weapons in slow-mo perfect boom yeah. All right, bada bing, bada boom. Bada that's, bing, bada boom, you did it. I guess this is a two-parter. Both of them both of them have an interesting relationship with sexism, and then both of them are kind of like sexless and sterile, if I can say that. So, because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for the sexism piece, the um, Hard Ticket to Hawaii obviously is like a B-movie, which kind of celebrates naked women. And yeah, it kind of is very leering and oogling and whatnot. Um, whereas in the farewell, that doesn't exist at all. But mm-hmm. the heterosexist like expectations of like the the family imposed yeah. on Billy, like she has to get married and she has to kind of become a, a wife and whatnot. And also the cousins who get married, there's like the sadness that they experience because they are forced into a marriage. And like the gender roles that come with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting comparison that they that both are like, yeah. they both deal with sexism, but also the, the sexlessness of both films I thought was interesting because the farewell obviously is a sexless film because there's the uh, relationship between the main character and her dying grandma. And I think mm-hmm. goes without saying, <laughs> I found hard to take it to Hawaii to be interesting because it was like a B movie and it's it's all about boobs and guns and whatnot. But there's like a yeah. weird like going through the motions kind of feeling about the entire thing. And the women are not they they don't seem like they're the whole it doesn't feel perverted if that makes any sense. Like the whole thing just seems like it's fun and it's a celebration. Yeah. But also yeah. it's like expected that they'll just take their shirts off and the camera doesn't really like leer or like move up and down their bodies or anything like it's so incompetently filmed that it can't really ogle them yeah yeah the cinematography doesn't match 
the intent, I think, of how like horny they wanted to make the movie. Yeah. Everything's and, so static and boring. Yeah, and whenever you, they you, kiss, like there's it just seems like they're mashing their faces together. It doesn't seem like they're in it at all. Yeah, yeah. Which I found to be fascinating. And there's also mm-hmm. a scene where one of the characters like basically is like, I'm gonna go get changed. And she goes into a room and just like there's no music. It's just like the sound of the room. Yeah. You know, whatever the air in the room is doing sound wise. Uh, and then she just takes her clothes off. She looks bored. Yeah. And then she just changes her clothes and then leaves the room again. And it's like. It's, it's very matter of fact. Like it's a very, very pragmatic yeah. depiction of nudity. Yeah. And she doesn't seem like, I mean, I don't know what the actress was feeling, but she didn't seem like she was uncomfortable doing it. She just kind of was like, okay, I'll do this. Maybe she was going through take five and she just like wanted to go get a sandwich or something. But it really kind of yeah. had like this kind of dull energy. Uh, and also the the two main characters are women and they are incredibly skilled. They're smart. They have all of these different, you know, they can do action scenes. They can fly helicopters confidently. Um, they just do all of these things throughout the movie. And the men are kind of portrayed as inept. Like mm-hmm. the one guy can't shoot a bazooka and they're just kind of idiots. So yeah. Uh, so you do see the women running around without like shirts on or with just scantily clad considering that they're government agents. But then um, they're kicking ass. But then they're kicking ass. So like the sexism is present, but it's also, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like it's fine that they are not wearing a whole lot of clothes, but it's also not the most important part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. In a weird way. Totally. Totally. It walks a weird line. Yeah. Uh, for for like it is a softcore porno in a way, but it's like uh, for lack of a better word, it's uninspiring. <laughs> yeah, for the viewer, I think it's not it's not like a, a horny raunchy movie. You're just kind of like, yeah, people are just getting naked every third scene for no reason, and they're they're like they're always just talking shop with their shirts off. Yeah, exactly. They're always they always have business to do, even if they're not wearing clothes. Yeah. And the only character that ogles is Andy Sedaris himself. Oh, yeah, he does. But he kind of is viewed as like a, not a villainous type in the film, but he just seems. The perv. He seems out of place. He seems out of place. And his cameo seems like it doesn't get the movie that it's in. You know what I'm saying? Like he's directing the movie and he's making a cameo in his own movie, but he doesn't understand like the movie that he made because it's not this, it's not that sexist, I guess, if that makes sense, because all of the sum of the parts really is what it is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So as a whole, the whole thing just kind of comes off as not an empowering piece of feminist cinema, but <laughs> it <laughs> seems like it escapes all of the terrible labels you want to throw at it because of just how everything comes together. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, uh, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> This felt the most far removed of any episode we've done. But that's good. We've been doing this for like a couple of weeks. We we have to challenge ourselves now. Yeah. It I was like, I don't know, Citizen Kane and from Justin to Kelly felt more linked than these two movies. Well, they are extremely linked. They're so linked oh, well, that as, it, as it manifested a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you would think they'd have nothing in common. And then with this, I'm like, I'm sure there are a million similarities, but there are very few similarities between these two movies. But there was enough is, that we were able to sustain a full episode. I don't know. Uh, 
I mean, everyone should see The Farewell. Yeah. I, I think it's a valuable film, and I think people should check it out. And it's very hard to find a copy of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. It Like, online, it doesn't exist. You have to buy a Blu-ray of it. Uh, no, I did. You can stream it, actually. On Google, on Google Play or something? Oh, yeah. That was another similarity I forgot to say. Oh. Uh, so, one more similarity was uh, they're both from Boutique Film Studios. A24 made Oh, the I was going to say that too. And Malibu Bay Films made uh, The Hard Ticket to Hawaii. So, yeah. But anyway, on the Malibu Mal- Bay Malibu Films. Malibu Express, isn't it? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, Malibu. Okay, fuck it. Andy Sedaris' company. Yeah, Andy, I, I had that on the list too. So, on andysedaris.com, or maybe it's Malibu Bay Entertainment. Who knows what the website was? I'm sure if you looked it up, you could find it. But um, you can stream every one of these movies. Oh, what? Right from their website, yeah. I, just, oh. I can't remember the name of the service they use, but that you can stream. I all did not the know that. Andy yeah. Sedaris, Malibu Bay Films. Oh yeah. Well, that's cool. Girls, yeah, so guns, can... and g-strings. Yeah, that's right. There is a oh, DVD. Wow, this website is amazing. I know it's like right There's out of like two thousand and three. Yeah, like a beach in the background. Holy shit! Sorry, I'm just so captivated by this. Who made this website? I think maybe Arlene did. Okay. Wow. This is amazing. Check out our latest interviews, podcasts, and live Q&As. People should check this out. All right. Well, cool. Did you, um, find, did you find it strange in, um, in Hard Ticket to Hawaii how monogamous everybody was? Yes. Like the characters, all of the main characters only hooked up, hooked up with the one person that they were in a relationship with. I think that's because Arlene and Andy are like that. Yeah, I thought they're that was like really surrounded by nudity, but they love each other so much that they—that's the only way they know how to depict a relationship in a movie—is is through monogamy. Even yeah. if they're just surrounded by nudity, Playboy bunnies everywhere, and they're like, "Eh, I love my wife." Yeah, it was weird when the the two characters were having sex and then the other two characters were just hanging out and talking about buy stuff. And you're Mm -hmm. like, are they going to hook up too? But then they didn't. And then the reason why was because they both had other like boyfriend and girlfriend characters who were like, you didn't see them until later in the movie. And then they just like all got together with those people. And it was, everybody was very monogamous. It's an extremely conservative sex romp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. So monogamy is a part of both films because also the characters get married in the farewell. So there you go. Oh, shit. Yeah. Nice, nice. Both are about monogamy and the like kind of expectations from that. Mm-hmm. So what, um, what, what are your feelings about these two films? I was into Hard Ticket to Hawaii more than I thought I would be. I also watched it starting at like 11 p.m., so everyone is asleep and you're like, oh, I'll watch this right now. Yeah. And I was like, I will watch a half an hour of this and then watch the rest tomorrow. But then I finished the whole thing, all hour and 40 minutes of it. That's a good sign if you sit down and you're like, I'm going to piecemeal my viewing of this. And then mm-hmm. it, it did captivate you enough to finish the whole movie. Yeah. But also like it wasn't, it wasn't a like titillating experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it was like a sterile kind of movie viewing yeah it just it seemed weirdly pg considering yeah. that it was not pg if that makes any sense totally yeah 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 that makes total sense interesting 
Yeah. Maybe eventually we should do another Andy Sedaris film. Yeah, I do think B movies are like a good a good avenue to go down. We should do a Roger Corman film. Yeah. I haven't actually seen a Roger Corman movie, I don't think, ever. Really? Yeah. Like Have a little seen... shop of horrors or anything? Oh, I've seen that. That's the only one I've seen. He's made I think thousands of films at this point. Yeah, there's these, I have um there's these a DVD weird work- box set. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah, there's these weird workhorse directors who just make schlock. And um it's kind of like an offshoot of the Ed Wood days, like Yeah, totally. Where they're like, I just make bad stuff and then it doesn't matter how good it is, we just gotta get it out there. We gotta get it out there. We gotta make we got gotta make money off of this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. like hammer, hammer horror films are similar. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting that there are institutions that just know what they are and they're not striving for anything else. They're, they're just basically trying to bring home the bacon. Would you say A24 is like that, but for good movies? Yes. They just churn them out, but well, everything I just think they want to make good. money, but they want to do it in an interesting way. Yeah. You know? It, well, it shows that you can make good movies if you try to make good movies. like, mm-hmm. Or you just find people who make good movies. It's also an interesting situation because you have the people who those boutique studios that are just like, we're going to make this movie and it's going to be good. And we have a good director, blah, blah, blah. And anything that goes through that feels like there's some legitimacy to it. But then on the other side of Hollywood, people will make a good movie and then Hollywood will be like, this director is good. I'm going to snap them up and make them make Jurassic World. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm going to make this director make this other movie, which is uh, uh, just a terrible thing with a pop culture property we all remember from the 80s. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. There's like people whose careers kind of just get swallowed up by like the... The machine consumes them. Yeah, the machine consumes right. them. Fantastic Four is a great reference because that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, well, well, I wonder, will that happen to... You know, someone like Lulu Wang. Good question. I don't know. But but some some filmmakers are really patient. Like, um, they, they'll make like two movies and they're both wonderful and they're not in a rush. Yeah. To to make a film a year or whatever, you know. What's his name? Todd Berry, who did Moonlight and mm-hmm. If Beale Street Could Talk. That's also, his name, right? He's, uh, no, Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins. He's also married to Lulu Wang. What? Did you not know that? No, I didn't know that. They're what a like, power couple. They're, Holy they're a power shit. couple. Yeah, I know. Isn't Holy that fuck. A- A24 paid for their house. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but both of them, well, at least like Barry Jenkins feels like a patient filmmaker. Yeah. He's not in a rush the same way other people are who are like jumping onto a Marvel movie or like a tentpole intellectual property, you know? It feels... Um, it's cool that some filmmakers can take their time. Like Paul Thomas Anderson can take his time. Barry Jenkins can take his time. Well, also I read an interview with uh, Edgar Wright. He was talking about how he made Shaun of the Dead for like basically no money with his friends. And it was a surprise hit all over the world. And he, his next movie offer was Scott Pilgrim, but he decided to make Hot Fuzz instead Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was being looked at for making Scott Pilgrim, but he's like, I really want to make my uh, my second movie before I make my third movie, which uh, which makes sense when you say that as a sentence. 
but I know I know what you mean. Yeah. Like you you scale up slowly. Yeah, he th- he was like so I have that you to scale have the craft up slowly. And the comfort level instead of just jumping off. Yeah, although he was like end. he was in his twenties and he made Space that TV show. Yeah. He was doing a bunch of stuff before he made Shaun of the Dead, but even still, like he yeah he scaled his way up slowly so he wasn't just doing like oh I'm doing this small movie and then now i'm doing this 60 or 80 million dollar whatever scott pilgrim cost yeah i think that's kind of the way to do it because you make your second movie so people can know who you are as a filmmaker before you get swallowed up by the machine because scott pilgrim bombed and it could have been the end of his career but i think because he made hot fuzz it didn't end his career yeah it's better to have a few smaller things under your belt that are all successful yeah than to just take a huge huge financial leap because you you know the highs and lows are brutal for directors, especially oh, yeah. in Hollywood. Because um, it's your name that just becomes, it's either sullied or or it's praised. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to be someone who made one small movie and then their next thing is this gigantic tent pole that they have no control over. Did you ever see the um, movie that Colin Trevorrow directed before he made Jurassic World? No. Safety not guaranteed? No, I haven't seen it. I thought it was good, It was, but mm-hmm. it's like a small little indie movie, and it's just a time travel romance, and it looks like it probably cost $5 million. That's cool. Yeah, it's and it's like a good little indie movie, but it makes no sense why he is directing Jurassic World. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why did this guy get this job? Like, what it's is It's because going the on? studios want to manipulate the director. Probably, If you yeah. hire Ridley Scott to direct Jurassic World, he's going to tell you to fuck off. Like, if the studio makes demands, he'll say, fuck you, I don't need this. Mm -hmm. But if it's some young kid, you can easily manipulate them. You can easily control them and abuse them so that you get your way and you make a bad film, which is the goal. That's the end goal. But I think Colin Trevorrow kind of managed to deal with that because he's Mm -hmm. still working. He, he was yeah. hired to make a Star Wars movie. Oh, so really? There must be something going on with that guy now. I guess because Jurassic World was a success. So they're like, okay, you can do it. made a bunch of money. So. But also that yeah. was like going to be a success regardless. Well, also if you sell out, like you can just make a highly profiting franchise film without too much trouble, I'd imagine. Yeah. Like everyone shows up. Everyone knows what it's going to be. You all just kind of phone it in. You make a tentpole film. It makes half a billion dollars globally. Cool. You doubled your money. Fuck it. Yeah. Call it call it a day. You know, it's it's when you want to have artistic merit and have your voice that it can get a bit sticky, I think. Yeah, some one day someone's gonna make that powerful, meaningful movie about dinosaurs that come back to life in a theme park. I hope so. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Someone should make that like the drama about Jurassic Park. I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson could do that. Yeah. It's the real yeah. character study about a dinosaur born in the wrong time. The identity crisis of that. People like good movies. Yeah. People like good movies. So it's weird how little effort is put into making something good before they film but it. Pe- people like bad movies. Uh, go on. Like franchise films. There are a lot of really trashy franchise films and people like them. They enjoy watching them. Because they're trashy? Yeah, and, and it's easy to digest. It's ex- it's cotton candy, right? Like, you want to eat cotton candy every once in a while because you don't feel like eating your vegetables. 
I guess it is kind of, yeah, we make that comparison a lot, sugar and vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is true. There are people who just, you know, it is lowest common denominator maybe. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, mm-hmm. this is dumb. And some people will buy this on Blu-ray at Walmart for $15 or maybe no, $30, I guess, when it comes out. Mm-hmm. without thinking about it. And they'll be like, I love the Transformers. Yeah, Transformers is a great example. I think everything Michael Bay does, great example. Um, the Jurassic movies, like the recent ones, um, all the Marvel films. It's just like people want that. But also people like the original Jurassic Park movies. The, yeah. same, pe- the same people that love Jurassic World uh, love Jurassic Park. But yes. then not everybody who loves Jurassic Park loves Jurassic World. True, true. So you can still make something with a Spielberg-esque quality um, to, when, you know, when you're making a dinosaur theme park movie. Mm-hmm. But people don't, and that's fine, I guess. But I guess why not make something good? Great question. Great question. I have no idea. Who knows? Shit, shit gets made all the time, obviously. Andy Sedaris made a career out of it. Roger Corman made a career out of it. There's a bunch of fucking people who just... You you make trash because you want to make trash because you know it'll make money. It's just about financial security at a certain point, I think. The Both both of the movies that we talked about today are uh, movies that the, the, the filmmaker making them, it was the movie that they wanted to make and they got to make that movie. Yeah, and, and they were both auteur films. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, just every ultimately it comes down to each individual what they want to do. I mean, Andy Sedaris is so different from Lulu Wang. But yet they're the same. Yeah, they're very <laughs> similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well shit, maybe that's what the ending point is. It's just that, you know, to be an auteur doesn't necessarily mean something is um artistically strong or has a lot of merit. I think it comes down to the DNA of that filmmaker and what they want to make. I bet you Andy Sedaris at night was watching just crap. Like he wasn't watching Citizen Kane every night while he's making a hard ticket to Hawaii. No. Right. Um, But that's just who he is. That's what he liked. And same with Lulu Wang. I think she's into like classical cinema and into like a very sort of, classical approach to filmmaking like with, with her score and her editing they're really it felt like she she had some craft that she was leaning on and i think that's just what she's into uh-huh. and like genre is a big part of that equation like what kind of genre do you like what kind of performances do you like what kind of stories do you like to tell and that that dictates you know i guess there's a whole spectrum of auteur filmmakers out there yeah and there's a great ones and bad ones and that's just uh how it goes but I thought Andy Sedaris at least is being honest, and I think that's good. Yeah, you can tell I, he's I being agree. honest with himself when he makes the, his movie with like his frisbees with the razor blades on it. Yeah, you know he's writing. He, he he isn't kidding himself. Yeah, exactly. Versus like Tommy Wiseau is or was at the time. I think now he's a little more self aware. Well. This has been from Justin McCain. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't seen these films, check them out. You can watch uh, The Farewell on Amazon Prime if you have it. I'm sure there are yeah. other places you can get it, but you can stream it for free if you have an Amazon account. I mm-hmm. think deep down we all do. Oh, uh, yeah, of 
course we do. <laughs> Deep down. Um, and love then, Amazon. We don't, love Amazon. Hate it. Um, but I'm paying into the system. Uh, great film. Check it out. And if you want to see Hard Ticket to Hawaii, you can buy the Blu-ray or um, stream it off of uh, Andy Sedaris' personal website. Yeah. Stream enti- all of his movies, his entire oeuvre. Yeah, all 12. Uh, yeah, where can we be found on the internet, Bob? We're on Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Facebook, Letterboxd? Letterboxd. Uh, as well as... Um, Say a fake one. I'm trying to think of one. I was like trying to think of like uh, a government website that we just have a page on. We already did that bit. Nothing nothing came to my mind. I tried to riff. I shit the bed. Bah. Um, We can be found. I Yes, I've said Nexopia. I've said yeah. MySpace. I've said Tinder. Yeah. Ugh. This old news. That's, that's an old bit. It is. Maybe we should retire the bit. We have a fax number people can reach us oh, at. Yeah, there you go. That's a good you one. You can What's fax, the fax us uh, movie recommendations. <laughs> the fax number is, you'll find it on our website. Oh, yeah, right. It's on our website, yeah. Yeah, yeah and we, we have our e-store, of course. We sell uh, from Justin to Kane mugs. Bobbleheads. Uh, bobbleheads and um we also have a little uh, a, an additional page that sells uh succulents because that's uh M- mike and i have a side hustle we're trying to subsidize the cost of this podcast by selling yeah. succulents um so if you need a succulent e-transfer us and we'll mail one to you if you e-transfer us that money we'll let you listen to our side podcast that we have called mm-hmm. the succulent podcast where we just talk about our little plants that we're growing our spiky yeah, I have, some suc- I have uh, three succulents beside me, one of which is on the verge of death. And then I have a money tree and a fern tree that have almost grown a foot in the oh, last wow. month. So pretty exciting. I'm going to have to repot them soon. I'm a little nervous because I don't <laughs> want a large tree in my house, but these no. little fuckers are just growing like nobody's business. Who among us does? Who among us does, I ask you? What, wants a tree inside their house? A large tree in our house. Trees are from yeah. the outside, I say. I agree, but I got two trees at my kitchen table. Humans go inside. Trees go outside. Tell that to a, a treehouse. Whoa. Wait, no. Humans means- go inside, tree goes under and sometimes yeah. through <laughs> said house. Also, so, the tree. Wa- watch out. The tree is, the house is made from the tree. Exactly. It's made from the, the bones of a tree. Yeah, the that's bones scary. and the flesh. Imagine um, someone was like, I'm going to make a house out of your skeleton. And so your they, skin. Yeah, and your skin. And for a smaller thing to live in, that's what like trees have to go through when you build a tree house. Yeah, trees have it rough. Yeah, they do have it rough. Emotionally, I couldn't imagine being a tree. Yeah, I don't know. I can't even imagine what a tree's emotions are if they even have them. I wonder. I think they do have emotions. I wonder like... You know how Toy Story, when the humans aren't around, the toys are um, sentient and they uh-huh. can party and have feelings in their own plot. I wonder if my trees are doing that when I'm not home. Do you think they're like mini ants? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. There's only one way to find out. CCTV. Oh, I could film them. Tree Tree okay. TV. Tree Tree TV. Or a CC Tree V. Tree V. 
Yeah, CC tree V. That's good. Or Anywho, tree 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 yeah. tree. Buy it. Buy a succulent from us because you know. Yeah. Running a podcast is very expensive. Super expensive. Very, yeah. very expensive. We should start a Patreon account. Should we? No. There's nothing no, sadder. There's nothing sadder than a podcast starting a Patreon account right out the gate, and <laughs> yeah. there's only five dollars being donated, and you know it's apparent. Yeah, <laughs> my mom donates, and your mom donates. Well, we Boom. all know that your mom and my mom would donate. That's yeah, definitely. That's Becky, the sad thing. Becky Our- would donate. 100%. And Joanne, shout out to Joanne and Becky. Joanne and Becky, the the MVPs of this podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. Fuck paywalls, a bad idea. It was a joke. It was a joke. I I hate paywalls or not paywalls. Patreon accounts. We just do this for fun. It's not for money. It's not for clout. It's for fun. Yeah, and when the money comes and when the clout comes, we'll accept it. Sure, but we're not doing it for that. You know, we do it for the love yeah. of the pod. It's there's a reason it isn't Christmas every day of the year. It's only one day of the year. Yeah. There's a reason for that. I want although, you to think about that as you go home tonight. Although, although it is Christmas every week for us when we record the pod. That's true. That's true. Your your you Mike, your voice, your ideas, your thoughts are like little gifts underneath my little trees. Oh, that's And nice. I get to unpack them every Christmas morning, usually Monday, Tuesday night. And it's a real treat. You're you're both the gift and Santa Claus coming down my chimney. Yeah, and when I hear your voice, it's Santa's bells jingling in the distance. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. ooh, must be Bob, must be Bob. It, it warms Claus. your heart. <laughs> it does, We should yeah. do a crazy Christmas episode when the time comes. We did two Christmas movies in a row, didn't we? Did we? Star Wars and Christmas in Wonderland. Oh, fuck. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't do them at Christmas time, which is hilarious. Oh, we should also think about what we're going to do for Halloween. Should we yeah, only do we scary do movies? Some horror. Yeah, maybe we should do like a, a mini series of horror films. I really don't want to do The Godfather. We don't have to I, do I know, the rest of The Godfather. I know movies. we're going to do the trilogy. I know, but just like emotionally, I do not want to sit through The Godfather Part Two right now in my life. That sounds have like you seen my it? waking hell. Oh, yeah, I've seen it like six times. Oh, okay. I've only seen it once. It's an amazing film. It is amazing, yeah. It's better than the first one. It is better than the first one, yeah. But I just don't want to sit through it. But I will when the time comes. You know why I don't want to sit through it? Because every day on Arrow, at lunch, one of the camera assistants would put on The Godfather, and we would watch The Godfather for 30 minutes while we're eating pasta out of a styrofoam box. Why would they do that? They just loved, he loved The Godfather. And then he would watch the making of of The Godfather when we were on set making a TV show. So it wasn't that he was obsessed. No, with... he's just a movie guy, big movie buff. Okay. Yeah, he just likes uh, The Godfather, hmm. all three, and he had the box set on DVD, and we had a flat screen TV in the camera truck, so we would watch. It's just the worst. Do you miss working on these shows? Sometimes I miss the idea of it, but the reality is awful. Yeah, I uh, like there's a show, um, The Haunting of Bly Manor, is uh, coming out in the fall, like next month. Mm-hmm. And I could have worked on that because my friend was working on it, and she called me because they needed me for a few days, and I was like, "Oh, that would have been cool to work on." Just to say, like, I worked on that show. Yeah, um, it's cool that I worked on Riverdale. I didn't, and there wasn't a single moment where I was like really enjoying myself though. Hmm. 
So it's a tough thing. Like, I love the idea of it, but the reality, I don't think, outweighs it. I don't know. I'm always on the fence about whether or not I'll go back. I guess I don't have to rush, but... No, not right now. Yeah, especially now. But I I miss it at times, yeah. 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 And I miss working on stuff that people actually watch. But it's it's a real grind, man. Making TV is a kind of a shitty way to make a living. Oh, I know. Just working... It's like working up at the plants, except you're working in the arts. That's true. It's true. You're just like hauling cable and carts and heavy stuff and it's so physical like it's just a physically brutal way to make a living i feel like i work on the rigs when i'm on a tv set yeah it's very similar it's just like a construction company basically but imagine being uh at the level where you're like guillermo del toro Mm -hmm. where you get to show up on set and then you're it's a slog for everybody but it's not a slog for you that's true that's true the, this that's such a minority the people who are in that position that that would be sweet yeah i know um <laughs> and it's like yeah that'd be a cool situation union mandated that is not a slog for you but it is for everybody else it's hard work man making tv or movies is really hard work uh great any last thoughts mike on uh this week's episode no same here we did uh, it all we did all the thoughts if if you, the listeners, the canies, have any thoughts, canines, feel free. Canines, you freak. The canines. Wow, canines are gonna, the canines are going to devour you because they're all carnivorous. They're like, you don't even know what we're called. Yeah. Sorry, canines. Um, if, uh, if you have any thoughts on these two films or uh, also start recommending movies for us to do. Yeah, maybe. we've got a couple of recommendations. Shoot us a fax, write it down on a piece of paper, scan it, shoot it our way, and uh, we'll we'll give it a read and consider it. Um, we got a nice little spreadsheet going with our upcoming films. Um, so yeah, if you have any ideas, please reach out. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Mike has no closing statements, if I remember correctly. None. Great. I am done. Then this has been From Justin to Kane. Bye. Bye. Derek, 
Did you guys load a crate with a snake in it marked contaminated on the Molokai cargo plane?